are listening to the Bully Pew podcast from Protestia.com. I am your host, David Morrill. I am your pew-sitting bully for this podcast. No, I'm just joking. That's not why we called it that. But this is a, this is a program where you ride around with me uh, in the car in a format that I uh, not so secretly stole from the Christian Commute's Seth Dunn. And I pontificate on things going on in evangelical Christianity uh, at large from the viewpoint of a lovable pew sitter, yours truly. This program, of course, is brought to you by our intrepid patron supporters who for only $5.95 a month uh, bring this program and other Protestia content to you on a regular basis. Um, you can join the fight on a financial level by going over to patreon.com forward slash protestia and signing up for that. You get ad-free browsing on protestia.com, the full full version of Protestia Tonight, which includes the PTVIP segment, which is just for insiders and versus freeloaders, and we answer sincere questions that you ask. So you get to drive the content of the program and get us to weigh in on whatever's on your mind. But this is the program where I weigh in on what's on my mind, And I am driving through the capital city of the Banana Republic of Colorado. Why do I call it that? Some of you are aware uh, recently, in the last couple days, the Colorado Supreme Court decided, made some sort of a decision that Donald Trump should be removed from the Republican primary ballot in the state of Colorado uh, on on the basis that he supposedly violated the 14th Amendment restriction Um, against people that have committed um, insurrection against the country. Now, of course, Donald Trump hasn't been found guilty of anything like that. And even a cursory examination of the evidence presented against him would um, cause any clear-minded, fair-minded person to arrive at the conclusion that, of course, he didn't commit insurgency, uh, insurrection, he didn't do anything like that. Um, I remember writing an article uh, years ago when it was it was actually the, the article I wrote was a couple days after January 6th, 2021, basically slow walking through Donald Trump's speech uh, in D.C. near the Capitol, where he very clearly indicated that everything needs to be peaceful. Uh, we know if we if we look at January 6th that the people that were around the Capitol went into the Capitol. Yes, there was some there was some um, scuffling. Let's just say um, I would argue that the Capitol Police were um, every bit as involved in that, and in some cases I think uh, urged it on. We know that uh, there were at least some federal. Uh, law enforcement agents. We don't know how many, but some federal law enforcement in the crowd dressed up as Trump supporters trying to uh, egg people on to do stuff that they might not otherwise do. Legally, we call that entrapment. Um, but, but, but Trump very clearly was saying we need to be peaceful. Um, we're going to peacefully march. We're going to peacefully demonstrate here. And yet you have the, the clown show of justices on the Colorado Supreme Court apparently determining that uh, it doesn't matter whether somebody has been convicted of something, we're going to legally act as if they have. And this is the kind of thing that uh, dictatorships do to dictatorships in, in, in countries that are authoritarian. They use the, the authority of the government to 
um, attack and persecute their political opponents, and that's what we're seeing here. It's pretty clear. I suspect that, and I'm not the prophet nor the son of one, but I suspect that the Supreme Court will rapidly take this up because it's such a serious matter. It's such a serious um, dereliction of the legal obligations of the judicial system. I suspect that the Supreme Court will uh, throw out this Colorado Supreme Court ruling with prejudice if they can, even, if, if such a thing uh, exists. <laughs> and and I, I, I'm guessing either a seven to two or possibly nine to zero unanimous ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court against the clowns in the Colorado Supreme Court, which um, will, will, you know, they're all leftists and liberals, so it, it won't actually put them in their place. Um, and they probably knew this in, in ruling this way. They probably knew that it would be overturned at the federal level because it's so blatantly unconstitutional, so blatantly anti-constitutional. Um, but it's because they know that it, become, it, it winds up being nothing more than a political stunt. It's so that they can look at their support on the left and say, see, we're, we're the true believers. We're with you. We, we tried our best to fight this. It's not our fault um, that the country is going to uh, be destroyed if Donald Trump is, is president again. Um, but anyway, I digress. We'll be watching that closely, obviously. Um, we are rapidly approaching, as you know, just in a few days uh, is Christmas. Christmas is on Monday this year, and which puts Christmas Eve on Sunday, the normal day that Christian churches gather for worship together, which always presents some interesting, some interesting discussion about what uh, churches should or shouldn't do regarding modifications, potential modifications to their worship services. I know our church um, out here traditionally does a Christmas Eve service or possibly two Christmas Eve services, you know, candlelight services and, um, and singing Christmas songs, uh, um, and hymns and, um, you know, have, have, we have have a message and a teaching, uh, you know, basically an additional service or two around Christmas Eve, and then Sunday, of course, we just gather for worship like normal. But when those two things are on the same day, it um, it you know creates a challenge of okay, what are you going to do now with your with your with your worship service? Uh, we've we, we've I guess the uh, our elders pastors have decided to basically do do two services. Um, like they would normally do on a Chris, on Christmas Eve, but move them up in the day so they're closer to when uh, the normal gathering would be. Um, and and frankly, I mean, I've 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 heard a little bit of pushback against that. Like, why are they modifying this? We should just do the normal Sunday morning service, and then if people want to gather gather in the evening, do a Christmas Eve service. So do the Sunday morning service at the normal times, and then um, right now there's two services because there are that many people in a small enough facility um, in the same place. You know, we're not not doing any of that uh, uh, you know multi-campus silliness. Um, but right now there's two services in the morning and, and so I guess you could argue that hey, we should just do the normal service and then we'll do a, a Christmas Eve service or two in the evening as well but but I think they were trying to be um, sensitive to the the team and, and you know the, the worship team and those that uh, need to be there to facilitate the service um, not being there all day on, on Christmas Eve getting to spend some of that time at home with their families but um, it does 
it does it should lead us to to again go back to scripture like we do with everything and take a look at okay why under under what um, guidance under what scriptural guidance and instruction are we doing what we're doing and you'll you'll notice that the the, that the Bible doesn't specify uh, how many services you're supposed to do how long they are when they are uh, things like this Um, we are supposed to um, not neglect meeting together it is good practice, obviously, to make this a regular part um, of our um, Christian worship, a regular part of our calendar, I guess, as, as believers. Um, but beyond that, it's it's a it, it really is. There's a lot of freedom and preference with regard to how a church decides to do their gathered worship services. That we just know that they're supposed to do them, and it it rapidly becomes a question of. Um, the motivation for why we do what we do rather than exactly what it is. So a a good example of this, and I think I've talked about this before, I'm not sure, but a good example of this is how many churches in the, the Southern Baptist convention have, you know, one time had Baptist in the name of their church. And now they're, they've changed the name of their church, either just by simply removing the term Baptist or renaming the church entirely and when when called out for it or when asked hey why did you do this the the answer winds up being something that something along the lines of uh this you know we we don't want to answer the questions of you know people have preconceived notions about baptist churches and we don't want to be lumped in with that which i mean i've argued before is not that that is an improper motivation that's a motivation very clearly um, under the auspices or under the the framework that church is supposed to be a service for worshipers rather than a service for God, and that the preferences of the worshipers are um, not only not only important but pivotal to what a church does. In other words, it can be very clearly demonstrated to be a wrong motivation, an unscriptural motivation. I'm not saying that every church that changes their name name necessarily fits this this categorization, but there's a lot of examples of this. Um, I was looking um, at the behest of a friend of mine who, uh, she will go unnamed, but you know, someone who's in public ministry and was asking if we at, at Protestia, if we had um, done any writing or research or um, had any information about um, a certain mega church um, that she was looking into. Uh, again, this is the, the purpose is not talking about what church this is, so they'll go unnamed as well. But um, I go to the church's website because I, you know, first I, I I hadn't heard of the church, and but that doesn't mean that Protesti or Pulpit and Pen hasn't necessarily um, referenced them before. It looks like we haven't. But I go to the church's website, and everything on on the site it looks like an advertisement to get you to go to their church, which is that I mean that's pretty common. That's pretty normal. Every church wants to wants to uh, make sure that they tell the community around them that they're welcoming. That they want people to come to church to their church that they're um, that, that they're not going to be you know like somehow shunned or something like this for, for attending and and all that's well and good um, but all of the all of the characterization that this church was doing on their website it was very much um, about the experience 
So you, know, you want to come to this church for a worship experience or their Christmas series is let's experience Christmas or experience Jesus. And, and it's all characterized this way um, because it's all aimed towards the preferences and the, the benefits given to the, the worshiper, potentially. They're not seen really as worshipers per se. They're seen as customers, and the church is um, basically making a sales pitch. Like, hey, there are all sorts of places you could go to worship, but here's where, here's where you'll have the experience that you want. They don't, they don't necessarily say it that out in the open, that nakedly, but that's very clearly what they're implying. Um, and this is common phraseology in evangelicalism, right? The church is um, not seen any longer as the gathered body of Christ um, gathered to um, engage in corporate worship of God, public worship of God. We gather together with our steeple on the building um, and we say this is the place where God is worshipped unapologetically and out in the open and the culture is not going to like it and the world isn't going to like it, but this is what we do. Um, This is a place where every component of what we're doing is worshipful towards God, for God. Um, he is the audience. He is the target. He is, he is, um, who, he, he is the purpose for everything we're doing here, um, in a way that really minimizes us. Rather, the churches are, um, they're competing against one, one another as marketplace options. And so the, the websites are, very clearly targeted towards the people in, in, in a way that sort of minimizes the, per, the real purpose of the gathering. And it is, hey, you know, you know, maybe you're having problems in your life or you're missing something. And we, hey, we really think that you will be served. You will be served very well by what our church is doing. You will be, and, and it's so, I mean, sneaking this in is so pernicious because we know as believers that we are supposed to um, serve one another. There is a, there is a, a humility and a servant's um, mindset and attitude towards other, other believers and our neighbors. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves as well, um, but it's the, the, the line is pretty easy to cross when you are uh, putting together what is basically a marketing campaign for your church, it's really easy to say, hey, we're here, Um, we want to love people, we want to serve one another, we want to make this a place where people are welcome, all all of that. It's very easy to take the next step forward and all of a sudden that becomes the primary mission of the church. And it isn't. It's not supposed to be. Um, loving our neighbors as ourselves is not only the second commandment after loving God um, with all of our heart, soul, uh, minds, and spirit. Um, that's the, the loving our neighbors comes after that, but it's also informed by it. It's not just, uh, yeah, the second commandment is love, love our neighbors as ourselves, and um, now we're free to sort of define that love any way we want. And the easiest way, and the worldly way, the, the, the self-centered way to define that is through the lens of people's preferences and their feelings and what they want. That's not actually loving your neighbor. Uh, and especially as Christians, because if we, if we really understand that 
loving our neighbor is loving, um, loving them as ourselves, we would look at ourselves as believers and say, what does the Bible say that I am supposed to be, um, that, that is, is supposed to be done for me or should be done for me for my sanctification? I need accountability. I need teaching. I need rebuke. You know, I need, um, you know, commu- real Christian community. Um, I need to not be, um, have my uh, preferences and emotions and things placated. I need to be challenged. I need to be called to serve. I need to be, um, you know, in uh, working on, you know, having my sanctification move forward and, and grow in Christ. So if, if we see loving our neighbors as ourselves in that light, that's what we want to do for other people. And that's not going to be, as we know, that's not going to be loving by the world's definition. Loving by the biblical definition is a very different thing, uh, in the Christian church especially. And so, church, but churches very easily, it's very um, tempting, it's pragmatic, um, it's very easy to say, no, we know we're supposed to love people, and so we're going to let them define what that love is, and then we're going to try to give that to them. Um, if, if what we're going to say or do or whatever might hurt their feelings, make them feel bad, that doesn't seem very loving, so that's probably off limits. Uh, th- this is what we see. And, um, yeah, Christmas time is, is, I mean, it's an especially obvious time in the, in the church calendar to see this kind of stuff happen. Um, because churches know very well that there are people in the community that will show up, show up at church on Easter. They'll show up at church on Christmas. You know, we call them CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. And the, you know, church leadership of, of at least churches with Orthodox beliefs, you know, supposed Orthodox beliefs, even apart from their practices, you know, churches that, you know, they're what we call website Orthodox. They have an Orthodox statement of faith and things like that on their website that doesn't, doesn't really seem to have too much of an effect on their practice, but they, they do know, or at least they suspect that a lot of these CEO Christians are not actual Christians. They might call themselves Christians. They might, you know, be in a Christian family or whatever, but they're not actually demonstrating the fruit inconsistent that's consistent with repentance, that's consistent with regeneration. And so the goal at that point is to, to um, get these people to like or enjoy the experience enough or get enough out of the Christmas service for themselves that they want to continue to come back to the church um, the next Sunday. Or, you know, um, maybe if they're not believers, uh, come to a, a saving proclamation, and, you know, in, and express uh, uh um, saving faith in Jesus Christ, make that decision for Christ. I mean, th- those are the kind of things that, that they're kind of aiming for. And in that light, it's pretty easy to say, all right, let's, let's set aside the real, uh, you know, the real strong and serious and immovable biblical doctrine that, that, that we should be, um, informing our worship service with, Let's set that aside and we're going to make a special, like, modified service for Christmas or for Easter or whatever that's almost like a, like, like some sort of a uh, evangelistic revival. And we know, I mean, the gospel, proclamation of the gospel, the core tenets of our faiths, the salvation message should always be um, the foundation of uh, our worship services. It's not, it's not to say that, hey, normal church, church worship 
um, doesn't have any gospel in it or any any like plain um, straightforward um, spoke you know uh, preach gospel in the service. That's not what we're saying, but there is a component where um, and and Paul chastised, I believe it was the either the Galatians or the Ephesians for this. Yeah, someone have to remind me. Um, but chastise them for um, not the, basically saying, hey, you're all supposed to be more mature now. You're supposed to have moved on from the the um, the plain milk of the gospel onto solid food. Your sanctification should have should have been beyond where it is. Um, you should be able to teach this stuff now. And instead, we're going back to the basics because you 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 clearly haven't understood it. There is a sense where the gathered body of Christ and Christians should should see that growth. It's a fruit of the spirit to grow in knowledge and understanding of the word and the ways of God, his character, his works. Um, and so, yeah, there, there, while there may be, you know, there is some freedom, I think to, you know, modify or do a special service this time of year, just knowing the reality that you're going to have, um, lost people in your midst. Um, we can't forget that it's not us who does the work of, of regeneration. Um, no lost person is going to come to saving faith in Christ, be regenerated, have their eyes opened by the power of the Holy Spirit um, because of, of our slick uh, repackaging of the service. So, so there is no person that will be saved because of our, um, our repackaged Christmas service that would not be saved otherwise. Um, God is sovereign in salvation, and, and election is a true biblical doctrine. Um, those who um, have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life uh, were set aside, called, chosen by God before they were ever born. And so, so how should we approach our worship services and Christmas or Easter in response to that? Generally speaking, we should gather and... and um, do our best to offer true praise and worship to God, not um, build our worship services in response to the desires of mankind. It's difficult. It's difficult because I know pastors. If you're, if you have, you know, pastors listening to this, I know it's difficult because you know that there's that um, you know, uh, Mick Church down the street. That, that sort of cookie cutter mega church that does does things that, you know in the purpose driven way or whatever that's going to that they have no um, they have no uh, desire particularly to um, preach into the world what it doesn't want to hear they have no desire to be faithful to God even if it turns people away turning people away is a de facto sign that they've done something wrong for them. And so you know they're going to give they're going to give these people these quote unquote seekers exactly what they want. It is a a misnomer. I mean, even the term seeker sensitive is is not accurate because Scripture teaches that it's Christ that came to seek and save the lost. And apart from apart apart from uh, regeneration, that gift of faith given to us, um, we have no ability to actually seek after God. We have no ability to actually perceive the truth um, of salvation, um, the truth of who God is, who we are um, um, as man, as a lost, a lost people um, dead in their trespasses and sins. So when, when we say that somebody is seeking, 
the more accurate way to describe that would be to say um, they're seeking something for their own benefit. They know they know they they might know that they need something, but apart from regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit, all they know they need is um, something to please themselves. You know, they 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 need uh, life help. They need. Um, you know, temporal, materialistic things. They need to feel better. They need an emotional, uh, a change in their emotional state. You know, perhaps they need entertainment. They need an experience. You know, churches calling this an experience um, are giving away by the terminology that their um, their focus is in the wrong place. The worship service is not about my experience. I mean, yes, do I experience something? Well, yeah. I mean, every, every, everything that I do, everything that happens in life is an experience. But in describing a worship service that's supposed to be um, focused on the Lord and serving Him in worship, offering worship to Him by the um, instructions and requirements and boundaries of the Word of God, um, by, by referring to that as an experience... We're giving away where our true focus is, and it's pretty. This, like I said, this happens a lot around this time of year. So my encouragement would be, as I draw to a close on this Bully Pew podcast, um, that we really take account of why we are doing what we're doing, what the real motivation is, and be very careful not to cross that line of saying, hey, because we're supposed to be loving others, we're going to flip the, flip the great commandments and say, um, allow the world and the, and the emotional uh, feelings of other people to define what neighbor love actually is. Um, true love for other people is defined and subjected to love for God. It is his word. It is, it is his truth. Um, it is worship of God first and foremost that defines and bounds and subjugates our worship for others and our, our, our love for neighbor, not their preferences, not their experience. Um, anyway, I hope this discussion has been uh, as helpful to you as it's been to me. I hope that uh, you and your family and your church have a, a, a wonderful Christmas. I hope that it is a, a time of reflection and worship and um, a, a, a time that, uh, yeah, it's special because it's special in our culture. It's special um, because our Savior is special and um, his birth and his, his first advent, his first coming, um, is worth celebrating. And, and, you know, we all look forward, of course, as believers to his second advent, his second coming, his return. Um, and we, we pray that it comes soon. Um, have a good uh, Christmas. Have a good uh, weekend. Go to church. Obviously, worship with the saints. Uh, if you're in Colorado, perhaps I will see you there. Um, for all of us at Protestia and the Bully Pew Podcast, stay tuned to protestia.com. We'll talk to you again next time. As always, Semper Reformanda.